You're listening to TIP. On today's show, I sit down with former NFL player Jedediah Collins to talk about his journey into becoming a personal finance expert and entrepreneur. Jed Collins was a fullback for the New Orleans Saints of the National Football League. Since then, he has gone on to become a certified financial planner, author, and founder of Rookie to Veteran. This episode is jam-packed with tons of great personal finance information, and we talk about why it's so important to get these personal finance concepts mastered and in place before you take on the world of investing. Jed and myself are both active on social media, so be sure to connect with us both. I'm most active on Instagram, so be sure to give me a follow there. My username is the Robert Leonard. That's the Robert Leonard. I post new content almost every day in an attempt to make social media an educational resource rather than something that just wastes your time. And of course, I really enjoy connecting with you all and hearing from you guys. Now, without further delay, let's get into this conversation with Jedediah Collins. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Millennial Investing. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard, and with me today... I have Jedediah Collins. Welcome to the show, Jedediah. Robert, I appreciate the opportunity, brother. I love just this day and age that we get to connect you know, across the country and, and share in a common passion on this kind of platform. So thank you for introducing me to your community. You have an interesting background and one that resonates with me because I'm an athlete myself. I never made it to the pros like you did, but sports have still been a, a big part of my life. Tell us a bit about you and your journey to where you are today. Love to. And as you mentioned, athletes have a commonality to them. I don't care if you stop playing in high school, college, or professional, you have a bond and you also have gone through the transition of no longer being an athlete. But my journey, you know, I grew up in, in a, a family that really emphasized the student and student athlete, but we were jocks. Uh, my brothers, my family's actually basketball focused. I was kind of the black sheep that turned into football. But where I got possibly one of my greatest skills in sports was my ability to lose. And it's because growing up, I'd play one-on-one basketball with my two older brothers every day. And out of thousands, hundreds of games, I remember vividly winning twice. And that as an athlete is the strength in that kind of badge of honor that kind of cloak you get to put around yourself and say, I can lose without being defeated. I don't see failure as final. I see it as feedback and as an opportunity to grow. And as I looked at each and every one of the challenges I played with my brothers, I grew through each one of those and then translate that to all the way up until the National Football League. I got cut 12 times. And each time I got cut, I was able to turn around, focus on what and why and how I could grow from it. So as an athlete, man, I've always been one of those people who I was never the, the big recruit or the big name, but I was a guy who get on a field or a court and figure it out. And that's kind of how I approach my life, but how I approach money, my, my wife, my family, my career is uh, just continuing to find ways to add value. Yeah. All those skills you just mentioned are translatable across all the different 
avenues that you're working in finance, business, you know, really whatever it is, those are things that are translatable across sports, business, everything you're really doing in life. I love your recognition of that. So I think life principles should absolutely be translatable, should, should not be football specific or money specific. If you find a good concept and a principle that you are going to base your actions and behaviors around, it should translate. And that's actually, we're, we're here to talk a little bit more about the financial side, but I have two sides of my world, money side and the mindset side. The other side is called rookie to veteran. And that's where I talk to companies, corporations, high performing teams, NFL, MLB around how to create principles of success and how to imitate behaviors of the best in the world. And I stand in front of a room and I people say, oh, the football guy's here. And I'll be the first one to say, yes, these are principles I may have seen and picked up in an NFL locker room, but they have nothing to do with the game of football or making a 53-man roster. These are concepts that will help you in every facet of your life. And I've the feedback always from men, women, young and old are the beauty in the simplicity and the actionable sequences you can take away. Yeah, just a few episodes ago, I actually had Lewis Howes on the show, and he was a former professional athlete as well. Yes. And he he says the same thing. I mean, he talks about how much he learned from sports and how it's translated to everything he's doing. And for me, I always notice that athletes have always been some of the hardest workers, and that doesn't just go away when you get into business. I mean, mm-hmm. it translates from the football field, the basketball court, the baseball diamond, whatever it is, to the corporate office. And I found that those types of people, they're hard workers, and they bring all those principles that you've mentioned and more to the corporate setting. And I think it, it really helps. I know I find myself leaning on those things that I've learned throughout sports still to this day. So I really love that. I love working with other athletes. But one of the things that you've done that isn't normal, I would say, for most professional athletes is taking an interest in your money and a fin- in your finances and really taking control of it. So what made you get interested in money and finance? And why did you specifically want to go for the CFP designation? So I began my journey out of fear and then out of anger. My financial education began my rookie year in the NFL. I grew up in Orange County, California. I went to Washington State. I got a wonderful degree in business. I was actually an accounting major, but there was no class on the Johnsons making $75,000 and what income taxes do they have to pay. So when I got my first check in the NFL, I did what the vast majority of guys do, spent it, spent every dime of it. And I get to humbly and kind of jokingly say it was a it was a terrible decision, but a great investment. I bought an engagement ring and my wife and I are still married. But I'll tell her to this day, that was a very poor financial decision. And I woke up a night or two after we got the ring in sweats and in anxiety and stress, knowing the damage football was going to do on my body and knowing I was a no-name fullback. I got to survive and find success longer than I was supposed to as an undrafted guy. But I was never going to really capture the NFL dream if I didn't start to treat my money differently. And even though I was you know, in the locker room, probably one of the guys who should have known, I had no idea. And so I went down to Barnes & Noble. I picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And as millions of others, it changed my life, it changed my philosophy. It changed really my perspective on money, my relationship with money. And what I now get to look back on that book and critique it is it changed my philosophy, but it didn't give me actionable takeaways. It didn't tell me what to go do. And it was actually after I finished that book, I began to think of where my journey has taken me 12 years later and what I'm excited about today was writing a book that does tell you what to go do, writing a workbook that builds out your personal financial plan. 
And that's what I've been able to do. But my journey began because I was mad. I had no idea what to do with my first paycheck. I was sad that it wasn't just me. It wasn't a big, dumb jock problem. My brothers who were getting a a master's in engineering at Berkeley and a Harvard law degree also had no idea. And it made me happy to start to empower myself and educate myself. And where the CFP began to come into the picture was I started to find a mentor, which I encourage everyone to do. It's actually one of my 10 rookie to veteran principles. I call it find a gray beard because in the NFL, if you have gray in your beard, you know, you're, you're an old head. But I found this guy. He was a former Washington State football player. He was 20 plus years in the financial industry. And I started pinging him with questions. He didn't ever ask me to invest my money or sell me anything. So I trusted him. And eventually he said, listen, I can feed you fish all day long, but until you learn to fish yourself, you're going to continually ask for more and more. So that's when every off season I challenged myself, I'm going to take one aspect of the CFP exam and there's six of them and I'm going to tackle it and be able to at least know what direction I want my career to head after I'm done playing football. It was then my objective to push that decision off as long as possible. It's funny you mentioned that about Rich Dad Poor Dad because I felt the same way about the book, actually. People always act like it's the Holy Grail, and it is a very good book. I mean, it's one of the best selling personal finance books ever. And it's, you know, people praise it in the real estate Mm -hmm. community all the time. And I and I think that's for good cause. But I read it and I left feeling the same way that you did is I really like tactical stuff. I like tactical books. Like what what do I need to do? What are the steps that I need to take? How do I actually do this rather than conceptual stuff? So I felt the same way as you did. And then I actually had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Robert Kiyosaki for about an hour. And it was awesome. And I asked him about that. And he said that Rich Dad, Poor Dad is high school. And then Cashflow Quadrant is college. And then his newest book is graduate school. So that's kind of how he explained it. So I love that you mentioned it that way because I felt, I felt the same way about it. And it, it was awesome to be able to chat with Robert about that. I love what he's been able to do. And it's actually the best-selling book in personal finance for a long, long time. And I actually have framed out. So I don't like putting age demographics around where I was going with my curriculum, but I have a very similar methodology around level one, level two, level three. And I've already created the workshops, the live engagements. I've been delivering those for two or three years. And so the level two book is is written and going to be published here you know, in the next year or two. But what my most surreal moment was, was as we launched Your Money Vehicle, you know, and it shot up and it became a bestseller in certain little, you know, side demographics. But then the personal finance one, it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, still number two, Your Money Vehicle, and then Susie Orman was number four. And I took a snapshot of that and I was like, man, I have these books and I like, I put them up to like my face. And so it was just, it was so cool to be amongst those people. And because I measured them in impact, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that mindset has impacted millions. But where I want to really have a shift is where can we change your behaviors? And that's what I really wanted to emphasize in your money vehicles. This is yours. This is not Jed's. This is not my curriculum. This is nothing if you don't put your name on it and sit in the driver's seat. In the NFL, specifically, what was the culture around money for the players? How do most players think about their money? Non-educated, not to their fault, but that's just how we are prepared. You know, you, you handle or hand any set of 122-year-olds a million dollars, 
I would be curious at how many of them end up with anything to show for it. Not many, regardless of the group. But our relationship with it is a risky one. Why? Because we've defied odds. And so if you look at an investments perspective, we are comfortable with high risk, high reward. That's our careers. One of the challenges I give young professional athletes is your career is possibly one of the riskiest investments you could have. Let's not have your investments match that kind of profile. But it is really difficult because in a sense, you sit next to veterans. I, as a rookie making a good amount of money for a 22-year-old, sit next to a 10-year pro making 10 times that. And I try to, in my mind, act like I belong in the same kind of world when I don't. And so there is definitely the Joneses in the locker room that you need to fight on a daily basis. There's also the societal pressure of, dude, you can't roll around in a $40,000 car, bro. Like you're a first round draft pick, like go get it. And then there's the, you know, the culture of rookie dinners and things like that, that, you know, are kind of absurd and they're a rite of passage to some degree, but it just sends the wrong message and the wrong tone. And so what we really need to do with athletes in particular is begin with that education. I hate when the New York Times posts this first round draft pick just signed a $45 million contract because they didn't. They signed a $22 million contract, which is still a ton of money. But if you're spending on 45, you're already not only broke, you're in debt. And then you have to really capitalize on the time aspect where most people's careers continue over time to grow and you have a long curve. Athletes have a short trajectory on their curve and each year you're in should really equate to about eight to 10 years of your financial life. And so your relationship is not that kind. Your relationship is a spender because that's the only relationship you've ever had. And we have to begin to shift you to a savor and then an investor mindset. Are we seeing more athletes and celebrities starting to take ownership of their finances? I mean, I think back to some of my favorite, one of my favorite shows, and that's Shark Tank. You see Mark Cuban. He's not necessarily an athlete, but he owns a basketball team. Sport world. Yeah, he's in the sports world. Alex Rodriguez is on there. We had, there's another show called Adventure Capitalists. They're all athletes. They're snowboarders, football players, things like that. And all these people, I mean, we have tons of celebrities and athletes going into entrepreneurship, starting their own brands. We have Rob Gronkowski talks about how he has never spent a dollar of his NFL contract. He only lives off endorsements. So there's a lot of different things that are coming out there. Do you think there's a trend of people of that stature starting to focus on their money more? Or is there still far more players lacking the financial and business literacy? Just the ones that do have it are getting more glamorized. So one, I love the Rob Gronkowski and Marshawn Lynch, You know, two guys who the, the common observer would not deem as financially literate were actually two dudes who handled their finances, handled their money. I definitely see a modern day athlete forming. There are There is a new wave of identification and that is such an empowering movement because athletes want to be seen as more than. There's actually a lot of hashtags going around, more than a game, more than a field, beyond the game. All these ideas that we both encompass that this career choice, this moment in our life is paramount, is a platform, is a huge, huge opportunity. But it is really being seen today as a launching pad and not the end of the, the road. And as you do see this, it is an education. And that's where I get more and more excitement because 
NFL, MLB, professional sports teams, student athletes, and high-level colleges are starting to encounter or engage with me because they're curious, because they are interested. I see athletes as the, the next frontier of wealth, and that is not rich. One consideration I really try to get across to young athletes and young professionals is rich is in the moment. Rich is great. Rich is money today. Wealth is money for tomorrow. Wealth is how many days you don't have to worry about money. And that's significant change because I know rich doctors who make a half a million dollars who have zero in their savings, who right now during quarantine, during COVID-19 are panicked. And they're surgeons. You know, what? when were they ever worried about their income? Well, they needed to start to have an investor mindset and start to understand what wealth truly is. As a wealth manager, I was in charge of building out an investment portfolio, not based on your returns, but based on how many years can I tell you, you don't need to worry about money. That is wealth. When I can tell you this downturn in the market doesn't impact you for another eight years, that is power and that is freedom. So I definitely see a new athlete on the horizon. And you look at the Warriors being in San Francisco and how many endeavors they've gotten into. It is just a really neat time to be able to shift this, but it has to come with education. I get, I'm buddies with Marcus Colston from New Orleans Saints, who is a serial entrepreneur and is on a mission to make more athletes entrepreneurs in every facet of the word. He has built an actual curriculum that he, I think it's Columbia that he's partnered with, but that is the kind of guy we're all trying to emulate and chase now. Yeah, it's really interesting. I see it from two different ways. I think there's two different like almost trends that are leading towards athletes becoming business people or entrepreneurs and that's they're realizing how powerful their platform is. So as a professional athlete, you have a brand already. I mean, that's one of the biggest things you have to do is build your brand and that's how you can one of the ways you be successful. Athletes already have that recognition. They already have that brand. So if they can leverage that into business, they already have a huge head start and I think a lot of them are seeing that. Like you said, a lot of people in the past, athletes specifically, would think about getting to the league, whichever league that may be, as the end point. Now people are seeing that as just the beginning. Now they're leveraging, they're starting to build their brand and launch that into a business. And that goes hand in hand with today's day and age, social media. You know, the the idea of any athlete can have a brand, you know, as this likeness thing gets passed in college sports, they're gonna have to start paying them if we ever play sports again. That idea of the six six man in basketball or the bench player in football, whatever it is, whoever, even though you're not the star, if you can develop a brand, if you can develop a, an intrigue, I cannot wait for the kid who is on the Duke basketball team who has never seen a minute have 100,000 followers because he developed a brand. Yeah, I think Gary Vee talks about that where even if you're a bench player on, you know, a major D1 program, you could still, I mean, people still look up to you at those schools. If you answer all their tweets, all their Instagram DMs, things like that, you're going to build your own brand before you even know it, even if you're not a star. So, to your point, I think that's the- Damn it, Gary. Let me get something. <laughs> yeah, he, he ah, I think guy, he beat you to that. Good. Yeah, so he, he did. Well, so that goes to the, like the second <laughs> trend that I was thinking was entrepreneurship was never cool. You know, athletes almost looked at entrepreneurs like, oh, you guys are kind of dweeby. You know, you guys are like not really on the same level as us. But nowadays, entrepreneurship is cool. That's like the Mm -hmm. pinnacle of cool these days. Mm -hmm. And so that is playing into the the aspect of, of athletes becoming entrepreneurs. But 
it's cycle, man. Yeah, artists really want to be athletes. Athletes want to be entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs want to be artists. And it's like everybody wants the next thing. Yeah, everybody wants the grass is always greener on the other side. Always. So let's dive into some of the personal finance topics that I want to talk about throughout this book. One of the ideas that I let's dive into some of the personal finance topics that I want to talk about throughout this podcast. One of them that I really like that I've learned from you is this idea of rather than playing checkers with your money, play chess. Talk to me a little bit about what that means. So I love the game of chess. You've started to see it be implemented into elementary schools as well as prisons. It's a thought process and it's a different strategy on life. You don't need to be masters of either game, but understand checkers, you move piece by piece and your objective is to just get to the other side where chess, you have to strategize moves in advance and your objective is not just to get to the other side, but to formulate and define exactly what a checkmate looks like. In football, I really realized this in the different levels of high school, college, and professional. You know, high school, you focus so much on what we go do. College, you say, all right, well, we got to worry about what those guys do. And in the professional game, you not only worry about those two elements, but you worry about how can we manipulate and get them to go do what we want them to do. And it's, you have to build out a strategy. You run a play because you know, in two series, you're going to run a very similar play that is going to manipulate the defense in the way you now know. And now you can attack and approach them. Money is no different. We enter into our lives as spenders. I made money, I, I spend money. I make money, I spend money. That is our relationship with it. I love asking people what type of or they are. We as people start to then develop that saver mindset. We begin to take a, at least a one year kind of perspective of money where I want to save up for an engagement ring or a car or a house or a vacation or credit card debt, whatever it is. But it's not until we become investors and we start to see money through a long-term time horizon and start to see money as our employee, we actually make money go to work for us. That's when we've had our chess strategy built out. And if you look at financial planning, no longer are they being measured in, can you beat the market? Because it's been proven time and time again, you can't. And I will battle people who want to talk about active investing. I love that you think you can still beat it. Keep doing it. It's doing nothing but making passive and, and evidence-based people more money. But the idea that you now need to step back and say, investments is not the only chess strategy. I can set up my insurance policies. I can set up my tax planning, my estate planning. Those are all moves in advance where I can build out efficiencies and actually capture a lot more of what I can control by building out a chess strategy. And so that analogy is just simply introducing people to different ways to look at how they go through life, money, business. The checkers versus chess analogy translates into all of those mediums. And that is one that I, I love that you, you saw and you, you took a hold of because if you can start looking at money and planning moves in advance, we can build out a plan for you. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with, 
and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A dot com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. So let's talk about another rule. You talk about the golden rule of money. Tell us a bit more about this. So golden rule, and this is one, if I could, there's an index card financial plan, there's a napkin financial plan. If I can give you a one sentence financial plan, it's very simple. Do not spend more than you make and focus on what you keep. And so there's three elements to that. Do not spend more than you make. Focus on what you keep. Where people typically break it down is not understanding exactly how much they make. That's the difference between gross and net income. That's the difference between not understanding exactly how they get paid or what other elements that have already been taken out of that income. Looking at your spend, I can't tell you how many 22, 42, and 62-year-olds I've sat and talked to who have zero idea what they spend on a monthly basis. I have a money bucket system where I put five uh, every choice you have into five different buckets around your dollars. The past choices, anything due before the first of the month is what I declare as past choices. That's your rent, that's your bills, that's your debt. That is a number you should absolutely know. I know May 1st, I'm going to have $3,200 going out of my bank account. I know June 1st, I'm going to have $3,200 going out of my bank account. And so as you look at make, spend, spend, I need a ballpark on, and then that keep number. That keep number is so vitally important because everybody wants to talk about investing. Everybody wants to start with investing. You can't invest anything until you spend less than you make. If you don't have anything left over, if you're not focused on that keep pile, you're, you're out of luck. And so as I look at it, I call it burn rate. I tell people to imagine themselves out in a log cabin and winter is coming. 
and you go out, you chop down wood. That chop down wood is you signifying you're making money. You're going to work and you're bringing that wood back to your log cabin and you're starting to throw wood on the pile. That wood you're throwing on the pile is the burn rate, is what you're spending. Now, as you look at the wood supply, as it's stacked up, you're going to either look at winter and say, hey, we got enough wood to get through winter or we're running out of wood too quick and I'm worried. And that is where we really need to start to build out a financial plan. Everybody has looked at that wood supply. It's been called an emergency fund. I will forever consider it the Corona cushion. And I think everybody will understand exactly what I'm talking about. But as you have that wood supply, you can survive these crises. You can not only do that, but with extra wood, you can start to build another house or build more on your house or sell that extra wood. That is the key ingredient. So the golden rule, do not spend more than you make and focus on what you keep. I love that you talked about having your essentially emergency fund or your just your budget intact before you even worry about investing. Because I just had an I just did a solo episode the other day and a, a couple of live streams where I talked about this in depth because I feel the exact same way. People always come to me and ask, you know, what should I invest in? What should I buy? And I, I always tell them, do you have an emergency fund set first? You need to have at least something because you can't invest with it without a week, without a foundation. And, and I always give the analogy of a house. You're not going to build a house on a weak foundation, right? I mean, you need to have that foundation strong, set, ready to go before you start building the house. And it's the same for investing. And that foundation is your personal finances, your budget, and your emergency fund. And then everything else you build on top of the foundation is your investing and everything that comes along with that. And this is semantics, but I love everything and agree with what you just say. I don't use the word budget. I don't like the word budget. I feel like budgeting is a a limiting mindset because a lot of people I encounter say a budget controls me and that's their constriction and confliction with it. I use cash management. Why? Because I am in control of cash management. Cash management supports my lifestyle. Budget dictates my lifestyle. And so those are like some of the subtle little mindset things, mindset shifts. I don't use budget and I don't use retirement because I think those are ideas of the past. And to go forward, we're going to have to adopt to a new world. Cash management is I control these choices and I look at my five buckets. And anytime I want to increase one bucket, I am consciously making the choice to decrease one of the other buckets. Yeah, I take a uh, an approach exactly like what you just said, but I I do call it a budget, but I do it in yeah. a cash management style, like you said. I actually I almost take a page out of Ramit Sethi's book where he talks about how you Love can it. you know spend what you want to spend on, just cut in other places that you don't really care about, and so that's how I build my budget. And although I call it a budget, I'm managing my cash that way because I don't really care about. I'm the type of person I don't really care about food. It's just one of those yeah. things for me. It's just never really important to me. I love riding dirt bikes and I love that type of stuff. So I'm going to spend a lot of money on riding my dirt bike, you know, buying dirt bikes, things like that, but I'm not going to go out to eat because I don't really care about that. I'm going to go to the grocery store, prepare all my food and save as much money as I can there. But I consciously think of that when I'm building my budget. And this is a perfect time to be conscious about that. You look at being quarantined. We have been forced to not spend money on certain activities, whether it's you know, getting more uh, uh, something for your dirt bike or going out to dinner. And I've challenged people over the last month is says, look at your past choices, look at your present choices. What have you missed most as you've been quarantined? When the doors open back up, run out and spend more money on that thing. Very similar to I will teach you to be rich as philosophy. 
And in the same breath, look at those choices that you haven't missed. Those should be easier emotional decisions to reduce. And so I, I love that. I and it's such a cool identification for yourself to say, this I get joy in. And that's again why we call it your money vehicle is money is supposed to take you to a destination. For you, it's happiness around dirt bike. If for some people it's happiness around sitting around a dinner table and buying their friends wine and stuff. But if you look at money as the destination, you're missing the point. Money supports and is the vehicle, the verb that is going to take you to there. That is what you need to be focused on, not the money. And you need to make sure, like we've talked about, it needs to align to what you actually want and what you actually believe in. You can't take advice from me. You can't take advice from you as to what those things should be. And to talk about this sitting around the dinner table analogy is one of my best friends. We were actually supposed to leave to go to the Berkshire Hathaway meeting on Friday. And the last time we went out to it, he's a huge foodie. He loves food. He's not really into... That's like his thing. That's what he likes to spend money on. And so last time we went out, I didn't want to go out to eat. And he wanted to go out to all these nice steakhouses. And you know, we kind of... We didn't butt heads, but he wanted to go do one thing and I didn't because we just set our budgets differently. We want different things with our money. So it, it really makes sure you're aligned with what you want and not what you think somebody else wants. So I think that is such an important clarification, man. Again, I brought up the your in your money vehicle, putting your name on it as an athlete. Our name being on a play means we own it, means you have to take ownership. In business, if your name is associated with something, you are part of it. So I challenge people to put their name on the money vehicle. In chapter one, we go through some goals, goal setting, and I love helping people with this part. I use the acronym R-I-C-H, rich goals, because they're in the moment. I stands for individual. Can't be your parents, can't be your teachers, can't be your friends. These have to be your goals. This is the one time I will, and most people will, encourage you to be selfish. Anything to do with your money is going to be intimate and emotional. You definitely have to be the one that says, I want this thing. I value this thing. I'm going to prioritize this. That is why it is not a sacrifice when I say no to this other thing. Standing in the line of the the coffee shop, everybody hates that analogy, but it's simply saying this $5, I value the coffee or I value my freedom and my investment. It's your choice. It's just understanding that opportunity cost. To go along with those rich goals, talk to us about why it's so important to begin with the end in mind. Love that. So the journey is the reward, but the destination is what is your driving factor. Beginning with the end in mind is the epitome of being having the athletic mindset, having the successful mindset. You're going to have a hundred milestones along the way. But if you begin truly with your end in mind, all you're doing in planning is reverse engineering how to get there. And in chess, it's checkmate. In football, it's the Super Bowl. In your money, it might be freedom. It might not be freedom. For most of us, our rich goal should not be freedom. It should be more reachable. It should be more obtainable. But you set this destination because in the moment, you are already built in to be lazy. And I say lazy hesitantly, but historically, our emotional reaction to a lot of these events is to always choose what is the easiest resource available. That's how we've survived as humans. So to be great, to be successful, to achieve a goal is actually unnatural. It is choosing to go against your natural inclination. So why we really challenge people to visualize the end in mind is because that is the beginning of telling your subconscious 
That is what I want. That is what I'm willing to choose and prioritize. And that visualization in and of itself is a practice that has no bounds. If you want to have a few takeaways of just ways to start your day, you own the morning, you own the day, you start with a big glass of water, do about 10 air squats, and visualize one thing you want to accomplish that day that is going to bring you gratitude or bring you fulfillment, gratitude or fulfillment, you will start your day in such a different mindset. So beginning with that end in mind allows you to go not only accomplish goals, but build out the strategy and the plan to get there. When we talk about freedom as a goal, how do you define freedom? So I realized I was a creative at the age of 30. You know, in in the NFL, I have about eight journals full of stories and things about my journey and my travels, but I never shared it with anybody. I didn't want to be geeky or dork like my CFP books I hid from everybody on trips and everything. Freedom to me is allowing myself to do what I want with my time. And everybody says, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur because I want to own my calendar. I will be the first to tell you entrepreneurs rarely own their calendar. You have a thousand and one jobs every day. There is no weekend for a true entrepreneur. So I look at freedom and, and manage it in saying, I no longer have to say yes to everyone. When we start in our careers, whether it's corporate or entrepreneurial, you say yes. You should say yes. Freedom to me is because I don't want to stop working. I'm passionate. I am one of the few who is chasing a mission and a vision and a new sense of purpose. So I don't think that's going to stop with money. I have more money from football than, you know, I, obviously I need to work. I was a fullback, but I realized the guy sitting next to me with the $30 million contract, he was not as happy as me. I had a wife. I was fulfilled. I was enjoying my day. This dude was miserable. And I was in 12 different locker rooms. That guy was in each and every one of them. So freedom to me is the ability to say no and to not have to worry about the financial ramification. I want to wake up and write all morning and say no to the calls, the emails, the tasks, the whatever. That is financial freedom to me. It is also having a plan that allows me to say, I know for the next 10 years, my cash needs, my burn rate we just talked about in the golden rule is protected. I know if the market tanks, I am still going to be okay because I have liquidity and accessible money for however many years I need. So those are the two elements, the ability to say no and the protection of my cash need. I really like that idea that you talked about. You're working towards a bigger purpose than just the money. And that really resonates with me because as I get older and my life changes, I'm recognizing the same thing for me. So when I was younger, all I cared about was money. That's all I wanted in life. I thought if I became a billionaire that I would reach the pinnacle of happiness. That would be, you know, the best day of my life. And to even drive this point home, in high school, my superlative, you know, the the award you get at the end of the year was I was voted most likely to be a billionaire. You know, everybody has known that, Yeah, it, it's just been in me. It's been innate yeah. in me forever. But as I've gone older and we're talking to millennials here, which is why I want to drill this point home because some people are on the earlier spec side of the spectrum and they're younger, so they maybe not have recognized this yet. And then there's some people that are a little bit older and they're probably like, yeah, I know what these guys are talking about because the same thing has happened to me. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that there's a lot of things that I care about more than the money. And you know, through this podcast, I have people reach out to me all the time about how I'm impacting their lives. And that that's so much different than you know just the dollar signs that I used to see. So I really think that that was a, a really good point that you brought up. 
And that's something you need to have. And so the, the rookie to veteran principle I like to use is most over now. And that's that unnatural decision of what is your most? And money should not be it. It is the world that money you think will bring to you. But on that list of non-negotiables, of untouchables, of things you're not willing to, because if you as an entrepreneur start out with money as your purpose, you're going to lose everything else along the way. Trust me, I know enough people and I love talking to people and they will be the first to tell you their demise story. But if you create a list, here are three things. Here's one thing I am not ever willing to sacrifice, then you will never lose that. And I, I highly doubt many people would be, my one thing is $5 million. Find what that thing is that is your most that you are not willing to sacrifice. And some people, like I said, who are on the younger side of the spectrum of the millennial generation, they'll hear us talking about that and hear you just say what you said and be like, no way. You know, that's, that's not me. Money is it for me. And I know that that is, is what's happening because that was me. I had guys like you telling me the exact same thing when I was younger. And I said, no, no, that, that can't be me. What is the most important to me is money. And like you so, said, I caution you guys, think about caution. it as you get a little bit older, it, it's going to change. And so just remember that as, as and- you go through things. The greatest example I can give, again, I was the fullback, so I was the redheaded stepchild of of the team, but I get to sit down at tables and I love Saturday nights because I'd sit down with these guys and I was kind of conducting my own little podcast. If I could only have gone back and, and recorded them and I would have been a great brand builder, but I would talk to dudes who are in contract negotiations and they were millions of dollars. And my favorite question, and it is, I asked this 15 different ways and times based on the situation is what's the difference between a $77 million contract and a $72 million contract? Like, what, why are you arguing? $72 million, brother, your grandkids don't have to worry about money. Like, what are we doing here? And their response was $5 million. That was their ego response. And so, if you think money is going to, one of my favorite, and this is a, a movie you guys all need to Netflix, it's called Cool Runnings. John Candy in it. It's about a bobsled team going to the Olympics from Jamaica. Check it out. But he says, you know, a gold medal. If you're not enough without the medal, you will never be enough with the medal. And he actually cheats to get his first gold. And it's a cool little story. But that is the reality, man. If you think the Super Bowl, the million dollars, the, you know, dime piece spouse, the job, whatever, if you think that's going to fulfill you, you're chasing a, a phantom dream. I haven't heard of that movie, but I'll I'll definitely oh, go check God. it out myself. And, I just changed your life. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be sure I'll put a link to it in the show notes so everybody listening, you Please guys can go do. check it out as well. Oh, and I mean, it's just it's one of those things we could talk about this till we're blue in the face, and it's not going to change for anybody listening to the show. They need to recognize it themselves. They, it's just one of those things that you have to go through yourselves, and as time goes on, you'll you'll recognize it. Which is why we need to stop giving out so many darn trophies, man. Like you need to fail. Yeah, that's one of those life lessons you're going to need to discover on your own because you're going to be handed the promotion and the contract you want at your job. You're going to go out, you're going to party it up. And then Monday comes and you're going to realize, oh, that didn't make me that happy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, one of my favorite financial quotes is from Albert Einstein, where he says that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Talk to us a bit about what he means in that quote and why compound interest is considered the eighth wonder of the world. Chapter two, brother. I love it. And, and so this is where I get to be unique. So I, I tie it to my football days. 
the difference between college football and professional football was shown to me by working out with a 15-year linebacker. And we'd go out on the field, he'd run, we'd run 40 yards, he'd run 45. We'd run 50, he'd run 55. We'd go into the weight room, we'd do a set of 225, he would put on two and a half on each side and do a set of 230. Finally, I asked him, I was like, what was the difference, man? Well, I don't get it. And he said, everyone in this room is younger, faster, cheaper, healthier than me. The only reason I stick around is that I come in every day and I steal an inch. Every day, I look at how I can steal inches because an inch leads to a yard, a yard to a first down, a first down to a touchdown, a touchdown to a win and a win to an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, which everybody in that room, their most was the Super Bowl. That mindset to me changed my life. And it translates to this dynamic of compound interest being the eighth wonder of the world. Why? Because compound interest is the magnification of inches. And you can find inches throughout your plan. You look at cash management, print out your, your spend over the last month. I guarantee you find one thing that you don't need to spend on this month. And that's it. Just do the one, do an inch. Then you look at investments. What is an investment inch? Maybe it's your fees you're paying, your expense ratio. Maybe it's your allocation. Maybe it's the taxes you're paying. Maybe you look at taxes. Well, what are my inches there? Am I actually, should I itemize or should I use a tax deferred account or should I use a Roth account? That's an inch. I look at my insurance policies. So I look at all of these things. Now, where Albert Einstein really deemed it was this idea that over time, money that you put to work for you, money you make your employee has this wonderful sequence where it then creates its own employees. So now it's not just you going to work for money. Now money is going to work for you and its payoff is that it creates more employees for you. And this is, you know, there's thousands of examples of around how compound interest will impact. I challenge you in the book and in my little 30-day financial literacy challenge, check out a a compound interest calculator. Type in whatever amount of money you think you can save every month whether that be $100, $1,000, or $5, look at what that compound effect will take over your lifetime and then tell me it is not the eighth wonder of the world. But what he else said was those who understand it get paid it, those who don't pay it. And this is chapter five, introduction to credit cards. If you think you are winning the credit card game, you don't understand compound interest and you are losing inches every day. Let's talk about that. What is the credit trap and how do we avoid it? So the credit trap is anytime your purchase ends up costing more than that number that was printed on the receipt. So I bought a $100 pair of shoes. It takes me three months to pay them off. That three months on a credit card is going to charge me on average about 20% in interest. So if I look at a year and we get into specifics in the book, but an APR, annual percentage rate on $100 shoes, 20%, that's 20 extra dollars. One of the most misunderstood ideas around credit is if I'm paying the minimum amount due MAD, I'm not being charged interest because I'm doing what my credit company wants me to do. Your credit company is not your friend. They are actually your foe and they are exploiting the fact you don't understand compound interest. MAD, minimum amount due, should make you mad, makes me mad that millions and millions of dollars each year are going to credit companies because people don't understand. If you have a balance on your credit card, you're being charged upwards of 20 to 25% in interest. So how do you avoid that? Number one, 
Quite simply, no balance, no interest. Number two, you automate it. But number three, you follow the golden rule. Do not spend more than you make. The first way people break that rule is through credit cards because a credit card doesn't take money out of your bank account. A credit card brings in a third company that is able to charge you interest because you're taking a loan from them and they're saying you're going to pay for that whatever you purchased in the future. So that is the idea. The credit trap is anytime something you buy ends up costing you more than you originally thought. I have some examples in the book. I actually have some videos on this where I take people on a game show and I'm trying to be entertaining in in the online course. But this idea, if you want to steal an inch, credit cards are an easy way to start to manage your inches. You look at what's happened during quarantine, during the lack of income, because people didn't have their Corona cushions, millions, almost billions of dollars have gone onto credit cards because people see that as how they're going to get through this environment. What they don't realize is credit cards, this unsecured debt is being charged exorbitant amounts of interest. Not only are you having the eighth wonder of the world work against you, mm-hmm. but you also have, you're also missing out on all the opportunity cost. And yes. this is an idea that I think about a lot. I talk about it a lot. I actually just recorded a video about it for our Facebook group. So let's talk about that a bit. Talk to us about the cost of not choosing. So I love it. And to just one tail on that, you're also impacting your credit score, which is your financial reputation, which is going to impact your, your future. So the idea of opportunity cost is one of these items that, again, I approach the book as what are 10 financial questions and concepts that are either frequently asked or frequently misunderstood? People measure opportunity cost a thousand different ways. What people need to realize is if I have A and B, I choose A, B is my opportunity cost, not A. And a lot of people look at it and say, well, my opportunity cost is what I chose and what I did with it. No, 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 no. Opportunity cost is what you actually gave up. Going back to most over now, your opportunity cost in every one of those decisions is whatever you gave up. If you gave up that decision you wanted to do right now because you value your most, you're giving that opportunity up. And as you look at why people are able to charge you interest or why when you borrow or loan money, they charge interest is number one, because it's a privilege to take their money and to use it. But number two, it's because that individual cannot use those dollars and whatever they are giving up is their opportunity cost. And that comes with a fee. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. 
Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found on the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. We've been talking about our money vehicle, and vehicles all have a driver's manual. Tell us a bit about the driver's manual for our money vehicle. So that's the table of contents, brother. Each chapter signifies a different part of your vehicle. Investments, the sexy engine, cash management, the gas and the brakes, insurance is that car alarm. We even throw taxes as, you know, somebody paving the roads or the police protecting you. What I loved was after Marshawn Lynch lost in Seattle this year, he came out and said, guys don't understand how to use money. They've never been given the manual. And coincidentally, because I wrote this book a year or two ago, that is exactly what the mission I've been on. I want you to use money, U-S-E, understand, strategize, and be efficient with your money. Your money vehicle will allow you to use money. But I want you to have that manual, that chess game, that strategy, the beginning of your plan. If you go through your money vehicle, each chapter not only has questions about the content, not only has exercises, not only has action items to go take, but it also has personal planning questions to begin your financial plan. Some people say, I'm 25, I don't need a financial plan. That's fine. You're going to wake up at 32 and realize you just wasted seven years. But the idea of I am looking and to begin my capitalistic journey, my financial journey, my freedom journey. I want a manual. I want somebody to walk me through the first 10 questions I should ask and answer. That's exactly why we wrote Your Money Vehicle. We published it. And the book is something I love, but the book is not the end. We're going to have an online course because I realized not everybody reads books. And we are going to have a level two because I realized people need to move on. But if you can sit down in the driver's seat, realizing pensions, social security, retirement is gone. That, that dream your parents had, that dream your grandparents had is no longer your dream. You have to sit down and drive your money vehicle because this is the first time in history you're being required to do so. Companies shifted the liability of your future off of their balance sheets onto your balance sheets. 
And that is why 401ks, IRAs, brokerage accounts are becoming even more paramount because you have to make these decisions. Why this has never been a class is because never in history have people been required to make these decisions. And that is why your money vehicle is so vital to have a manual to. So being a financial expert, what's a piece of advice that you hear other financial experts give on the internet, whether it be on social media or news articles or things like that, that you think isn't great advice? And how would you turn that into good advice? One great question. And it is extremely difficult. And what every financial advisor and expert and coach will tell you, when you ask them a situational question, their response is going to be, it depends. And I hate that. I understand it from a compliance and a liability perspective. I look at a guy like Dave Ramsey, who has created a brand, has helped and impacted millions, and has done an amazing job. But what I look at from a planning perspective, during this time of COVID-19 and the quarantine, the loss of income, the continual prioritization of paying off debt is, for a lot of people, a good step. But it is also not the, the most strategic or efficient way to handle your money. I don't think right now it is benefiting people to have their mortgages paid off if they could have had a couple more months on their Corona cushion or maybe a a little more investable or liquid investments that they could get access to. It is just too much of a blanketed, all debt is bad debt. My father actually, who to this day doesn't care about money or money education, That was his advice to me was get a good job and avoid debt. I don't see all debt as bad debt. There are many different forms of debt. If a debt is appreciating, if a debt is going to return you a greater investment, which is where a lot of home mortgages sit today, if it's under 5%, that's a a debt I'm willing to, to use. And that's using money. That's strategically and efficiently using money. But you got to first, you understand it. And so I look at that and say, hey, I'm paying 4% on my mortgage. I'm actually getting some tax benefits. So it goes down to three and a quarter or three and a half. Can I beat that in the market? Or can I beat that in a savings account, arguably online? Those are just those that this one that I, I think he's had a tremendous impact. But if I could help people develop a plan, I would say it depends but also there are higher and better uses of your money than paying down all debt. Unless it is your absolute priority, you're going to sleep at night better, and this is your most, is to get debt-free, then by all means, rich goal, individual, you go achieve it. For the rest of us, let's find some better strategies to use that expendable cash. Listening to the show and learning everything that we've talked about today is very helpful. But I consider it only half of the equation. Taking action is the other half of the equation. And I'd argue it's even more important. So when someone's done listening to this episode, what is the first step they should take? What is the inch they should gain to get closer to their financial goals? I love that. Actually, I, I came to a cold realization that financial education in and of itself would fail. And that's because there is not behavioral change and lasting impact, which is why I have shifted to be a facilitator of workshops, not a presenter. And I'm on a mission to do financial empowerment. First thing you should do is write down someone's name and send them a text, a call, an email and say, thank you. Why? Because gratitude is a secret of life. And that is something that if anything you take away, share some gratitude. Number two, I would connect with me on social media. 
I put out a ton of content, both on money and mindset. Uh, and why I'm asking you to do that is because I want feedback. You are my target. You come to Robert, you come to this podcast to seek more information, more expertise, more knowledge. That's something I want to share. That's something I want to give. If you want to buy the book, more power to you. I've actually given away thousands of ebooks of this during the quarantine to high schools. If you're a high school student and you want a free ebook, shoot me a note. I'll give it to you for free. Right now is the time to give, not to try to take advantage. But I really would challenge you to reach out and say, I read chapter seven and I got questions. Or why didn't you answer this? Or why didn't you include that? That is how I get better. That's how I grow. And that's what I would really love to see. If you were going to take one action, one action around your financial plan, I'm on a mission to open a million Roth IRA accounts. Can be a Roth 401k if you have a traditional job and your company offers it, which more and more are, because to young professionals, it is by far the greatest advantage of vehicle you can invest in. If you want to know why, go read chapter 10. I know we have a very interactive community here that listens to the show. I've heard from other guests that you guys send great questions to them. So be sure to take Jedediah up on his opportunity there, his his recommendation to reach out to him. Definitely, definitely do that. Where can they go to find you? I'm on all social. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Jed Collins 45 is my handle on those. LinkedIn, YouTube, just Jedediah Collins. But we are producing more and more. We're finishing recording the 40 episodes with Your Money Vehicle curriculum next week. And I am not hard to find on social media. Instagram and TikTok are newer to me, so I don't have as great of a gathering on there. But I'm in the game and uh, you know I, I'm in this for the long-term impact. I'm not trying to make a quick buck. So by all means, reach out because I, I will grow from it. If you guys have been listening to the show for any period of time, you guys all know that I'm big on social media myself. So be sure to go do the same and follow, follow Jedediah and connect with him there. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Brother, this is an opportunity I enjoy and it's a community I want to help. So I love what you're doing. The message you're putting out and the growth you're getting is because you're impacting people. So congratulations and keep on. I hope that this week's episode gives you an idea on how to build a strong financial base to grow off of and even some interesting insights into the financial world of professional sports. As always, I've put links to different resources we talk about throughout the episode in the show notes. I'm a big reader, and I know many people in the audience are as well. So there are links to books that relate to these topics in the show notes, and you can even get an audiobook completely for free from Audible. The show notes can be found below in the podcast player you're currently listening on or at theinvestorspodcast.com slash millennial. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of Millennial Investing, and I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.